Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Real Estate Mogul MD. My name is Bob Bosick. I'm a retired C-suite executive, and I have the privilege of speaking with medical professionals, high-income earners, and investors. We are here today to share the real-world journeys along with the to-dos and, more importantly, the not-to-dos. It's my pleasure today. I've been looking forward to having this conversation with uh, Dr. Martha Ayewa. Um, She is... Mm -hmm. Uh, opening uh, a new private practice. She's a board-certified cosmetic surgeon based in Manhattan with a general surgery background. Uh, She's the founder and CEO of Ayewa Aesthetics. And I'm just really excited to welcome you, Uh, Martha. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on your show today. You're very welcome. I usually like to start um, at the beginning of somebody's career arc and um, and and go back to what really uh, interested you about medicine and when did you realize that that was going to be your path? Um, going all the way back to being a teenager, my dad and my older brothers are engineers and I aspired to be like them. Um, I love to build things and create things and we were always doing projects together. And then I got to high school and realized that physics is not my strength (laughs) and neither (laughs) is math. And so I realized engineering might not be for me, but let me find something that's relatively similar. Um, From Nigeria, Nigerian background, you know, our parents always want us to be a doctor, engineer, lawyer, or something of the sort. And so I think my mom may have prodded me towards spending time with her physician friends who inspired me to look at that field. Um, When I got to college, I spent a lot of time at the hospitals in Nigeria, um, in my city, and shadowed every single physician and learned what they did. And I realized that the surgeon was my favorite. Um, It's like engineering of the body. Yes, right. (laughs) You you create and cut and build and fix immediately. Um, So from that point on, I think I was 19 years old, I realized I wanted to be a surgeon and worked my way towards that. Very interesting. I, you know, I had a podcast earlier this week um, with a gentleman who was thought he was going to be an engineer as well. He had two parents that were physicians, and uh, but he he went for biomedical engineering. And this is the part that I found incredibly interesting. I didn't know you could do this. Uh, Ninety units in, he went and did some research and realized he could challenge the MCATs and go to medical school. Uh, without completing his bachelor's. And that's exactly what he did. He is probably one of only, I would say, a handful of people maybe that were able to get into medical school without completing their bachelor's degree and then uh, went on to practice. Uh, it's a pretty pretty interesting story, but he knew. Um, and then he's created stuff with his engineering background. So uh, it just made me think about that. Um, so how long have you been out of residency? I finished residency 2020. I completed a year-long fellowship in California. We're about um, in surgery. Inland Empire, Rancho uh, Cucamonga. <laughs> I, know, I know the area well. I'm in Southern California today in a place called Newport Beach, which you probably know, having been in Rancho Ew. Beautiful yeah. weather. Yes. Um, they have the uh, Loma Linda Medical Center up there in Loma Linda, and um, that's a nice uh, place as well. Where specifically in Rancho Cucamonga were you? Um, gosh, I have to remember now. It's been a minute, Uh, but that's okay. Working working at Inland Cosmetic Surgery under Dr. Jacob Hayabi. Gotcha. He's faculty at Loma Linda, so he's definitely 
got a lot of roots there in California, but it was a great experience. And the moment that was over, came back to New York, you know, to got a job and I love New York city. Um, yeah. There's, not, there's a lot going on. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So why was becoming a doctor important to you? Um, I think every medical student and doctor will tell you, I want to help people. Mm-hmm. That's why we do what we do. But for me, I was interested in, you know, the whole intellectual side of things, learning medicine, learning biology, learning the human body and what you can do to fix it. And then moving forward, getting through medical school and the rigors of that um, and getting into residency, I started fine tuning what it is that I love. You know, what is it that I'm interested in? It's not just surgery. It's creative surgery. Um, My parents will tell you that growing up as a child, I was pretty much all over the place. I wanted to be a dancer and an actor and a painter and a lot of creative aspirations. Um, And so, and I did a lot of creative projects just as a hobby. So realizing that you can do creative surgery, it's the best of both worlds. That is what cosmetic surgery is. Um, Sculpting, you are creating, you are making a beautiful end product that your patient loves, but then you're, you love and you're proud of. Yes, absolutely. Where did you grow up in the United States? Um, I came to the United States to go to college. Um, I grew up in Nigeria and the Netherlands in Europe and went to Baylor university in Waco, Texas (laughs) for undergrad and then Fort Worth for medical school and came to New York for my surgical training. So English is a second language for you. No, we speak English in Nigeria. It's you do because it's, it's, it's a British colony. I, I had I, a British I, accent when I moved to to America. That's what I was going to ask you about because I was going <laughs> to. It sounds like you were, you know, raised in Washington or Oregon or someplace. There is oh, no, you. there's no Manhattan. There's no British. There's no there's nothing. Yeah, it is I perfected my generic American accent. I had you to develop absolutely it. have. I would have never guessed that you were born and raised in another country or countries. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's phenomenal. Thank um, you. Across your journeys, what was the biggest challenge that you faced? All of these journeys, there's been multiple challenges. What I was feel. the biggest one? Do you think when you think about it, it was like, man, this is going to be tough. Um, there have been many, but I think that just having the tenacity and the perseverance to get through what it takes to achieve your dreams. That was the hardest thing. Um, I am Christian um, by background and, you know, that was important. My faith journey was important to get me through. But one of the verses that I kind of hold on to is like count on all joy when you're facing these trials so that you develop perseverance and character. So the biggest challenge for me was having the perseverance to keep going. The the challenges I faced were multifaceted. Like I faced challenges being an international student rather than an American. So I had to get various visas to go to different schools or to get into my residency. They had to sponsor my visa. That was a challenge. I faced a challenge being female going into surgery, faced a challenge being black um, and a minority in a world that doesn't look like me. Um, I find now that yes, it was very difficult, but my, my patients are so, appreciative to to see a doctor that looks like them and represents them and it really is a strength now but going through training of over a decade it really was a challenge just feeling How does that manifest itself what does that look like when when you say i'm a woman regardless of color 
you're saying that as a woman and wanting to focus in and specialize in surgery, that there are there are issues, there are challenges, there are biases. And how do they, what does that look like? How does that manifest itself for you as a woman? It is multifaceted, but I will say time has passed and changes to the way that women are treated are generally moving in a positive direction, but you would find surgeons, female surgeons 30 years ago who were just blatantly treated badly and spoken to badly. A hundred years ago, they weren't even allowed to train. But now where I am, what you notice is the way that you're treated while you're on call, the way that your colleagues might treat you. I had a colleague make a comment, don't get pregnant because I'm not going to cover your call. It's just, it's completely inappropriate, but it's the spoken and the unspoken. You are weaker. You are less intelligent. You are unavailable because you're trying to be a mother. If that's even an aspiration, there's multiple articles out there that talk about female surgeons who have trouble um, with fertility because we wait so long to finish our training to even think about starting a family because the work or the job environment is so hostile that you're not even allowed to consider it. Um, How do you address those challenges? How did you handle them? I don't have kids. (laughs) But do you, 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 is it, is it, is it so common and just you, it's, it's almost to the point where you realize what's happening after you think about it, because it's just, or are you, are you confronting the issue immediately? I think it's difficult as a resident to confront the issue. You don't have a whole lot of power as a resident. Um, You do what you're told to do, but what has happened is there is the association of women surgeons. There are various groups that exist where women can get together and support one another. Mm -hmm. There really are some programs that, you know, put it out there that they support having female residents and that's excellent. Um, But at the end of the day, it's up to you as a person to have the fortitude to go through it, um, Mm -hmm. to, speak up for yourself rather than people assuming that you have no voice or assuming that you're timid to step into a male focused conversation and not take offense to some of the things that they say. I've had some attendings who are in their sixties or seventies or eighties. Oh, well you do okay for a girl. You know, you're, you're just a homemaker. I don't know why you're here. You know, like nowadays, Sure, political when you describe when you're describing the um the older generation my father um went to medical school um it, it was interesting there was an age bias back in the 70s he wasn't um he was struggling he went to law school first and then decided he wanted to go to medical school after law school and by then he was 27 and, and then there was right at a cutoff point where if you were older than that you were not getting into medical school um, but one of the things that, you know, has me and, I, and I've talked about this with several other folks back then, there was um, there was an arrogance and an ego um, that went with all doctors, young or old back then that, you know, you just as I reflect on it now as an adult and think back about the situations, it was just, you know, almost a God like um, attitude and, and, and a figure. But it's this new generation, you, you. And um, and others, uh, there is this humility um, that is different. And I was talking to another physician, a lady who said that when she came out of residency and first went to a practice with three physicians that were in her, they were in their 60s at the time. And this was in 2000. So this is 23 years ago. And they were in their 60s back then. And she remembers her first a couple of days walked in 
one of the older physicians called her into the office and said, there's patients outside. And he said, have a seat and read the paper. She goes, but there's patients out there. He goes, yeah, we got to make them wait 45 minutes because if they don't, then they won't think that there's any exclusivity to being able to see us. And she's like, what are you talking about? You know, this, just this old school attitude and arrogance, you know? I think in today's world, rather than the patient, the the physician being the God, the patient is the God. (laughs) We are focused towards making sure that your patient is happy, which is, that's a good thing. But it also kind of intimidates the physicians into perhaps ordering tests or doing things that they wouldn't recommend normally because they want that that patient is covered and they don't want a lawsuit. Yeah, no. And I, and I would say in terms of the arrogance and uh, of what I was speaking to about physicians in general, back in the seventies, um, I would say surgeons were at the top of that list. <laughs> you know, there was, they, they saw themselves as the top of the uh, pecking order for sure. Well, I won't deny the fact that I can be a diva. That's okay. I'm, I'm <laughs> okay with being fabulous. And yeah. yes, it takes a lot of confidence to take a knife and cut someone and promise it sure them does. that it they sure will look does. a whole lot better when you're done. So Absolutely. I will call it confidence rather than arrogance. Go. But yes, arrogance is definitely a thing that happens with surgeons. What is your greatest achievement? So we talked about some of the challenges that you were facing. So what do you consider right now your biggest achievement? What have you learned from it? I think being where I am today is my greatest achievement because I am where I ended up being 10 years ago. Um, When I dreamed and envisioned and thought about what I could be, it is what is happening right now. And that's something I sometimes don't acknowledge um, or I'm bitter about because of all the suffering I had to go through to get here. But truly it's something I'm grateful for to be where I am. Um, Trained as a general surgeon, survived that, um, in love with my specialty of cosmetic surgery. And I'm not saving any lives. I'm not, you know, doing heart surgery or cancer surgery, but I am saving people's self-esteem and their self-worth. And to me, I think that's extremely valuable. So I'm very happy to be where I am where I'm today. Um, if you could go back in time and, and tell the young lady that was in Denmark or Nigeria, um, you could tell your old self something, what would it be? You know, what is a lesson that you go, now I've picked that up as a tool um, to deal with life and I put it in my toolbox and I wish I would have had that tool a few years earlier. Is there is there a lesson that you you've learned that you would go back and tell yourself? Um, that's become my motto to really focus on taking care of yourself in the midst of everything that's happening around you. And even for my new practice, Yale Aesthetics, we tell the patients this is where self-care is everyone's priority. So I would say that, you know, as a younger person, childhood, high school, maybe even college, I did a pretty okay job of taking care of myself. But the moment that stress came in and I felt like I needed to achieve certain things or jump through certain hoops. My self-care went out the window, Um, taking enough sleep, uh, doing things that I enjoy. All of that went out the window and it really took its toll on my mental and physical health. And so getting to residency, which was the lowest point of my life, I started going to therapy. (laughs) It was necessary and needed. And that process taught me that there is nothing wrong with me. 
I might be in a difficult environment or a toxic environment, but there's nothing wrong with me and I need to take care of me. And so I would focus on getting a spa day and would be a whole new person after that massage. And I would focus on doing things here and there that made me happy. And that's made all of the difference. Now as a working professional, I take a day off midweek for me, which is today, Wednesday. Um, and it's, it's so important to keep me going. It's something that I can look forward to. And it's something that I teach other medical students or teach my patients. Like you need to take care of you because if you don't watch out for you, who will, you know? Yeah. I, uh, it doesn't matter when you're a high achiever and it doesn't matter if it's medicine or law or business like myself. Um, you know, it's it, what you're describing is really important. I remember um, I had a uh, a CEO once tell me this is the first time I had ever heard this, and he was he was tough, right? And then it was time to go on vacation. I said, "I'm going to take two weeks." He said, "I'm going to tell you something right now." He says, "Not only are you not going to take two weeks, you're going to take three weeks." And if I find out or see that that phone that you have in your pocket or your email has been responded to, me and you're going to have a discussion when you come back. And I was a young executive at the time. I wouldn't, not where I ultimately ended. But I thought that was the first time I started to become aware that I was not doing what you're describing and that I was just merely, and a lot of people do this, and I did it for too many years. You just push through. Right. You just yeah. keep grinding. You think yeah. this is a function of you not having stamina. Um, others wouldn't give in so so easily. This might be going for 15 or 20 years. Right. I mean, it's just going on. And then you get to someone my age and you can see that I have some grays and you're sitting there. And I've shared this with people and I've heard other people describe it as well. You know, son, suddenly it hits you and then there, there's guilt, right? There's suddenly there's guilt that uh, comes into play. You realize you haven't always been present um, for been the best husband, been the best father, uh, been the best son, um, whatever it is. And uh, the fact that you came to that realization or, uh, you know, consciously working towards that for somebody at my age, I'm impressed by that. And, uh, and I admire your ability to. Um, to highlight that because it is incredibly, incredibly important. Yeah, I find that, you know, not to be so dark, but you must have heard of a lot of cases of physician suicide. Um, it's extremely high tension, no matter what specialty you're in. It's yep. a high tension job. Yep. You carry the weight of your own life and the weight of your patients' lives and their problems and their needs and their desires. Yep. And I think that the physician community is doing its best to kind of look into burnout and look into what can be done, but it's such a huge problem and it's a huge topic. And for me, as I said, going through training where you are working 80 hours a week, you have no time for yourself and you, right. you don't have time to function. You have nope. sleep problems. You're not eating properly. You're losing weight or gaining weight. Like there's something going on that's wrong. And if you don't take care of yourself, you won't survive. It's yeah. just true. No, it is. It's very true. I mean, I can remember the last probably seven or eight years of my uh, executive career. You know, if I went to sleep, if I could get to sleep at 11, I was going to be up from one to three and writing things down and then go to sleep for an hour and a half and watch the stock market open or whatever, and then get a shower and head off to work, you know, and it's just never a recharge. Who is um, 
Who is someone that the listeners may not know, but over the course of your journeys, you wish that they would know or that they should know? It could be somebody that's uh, an author. It could be somebody personal in your life. That's a really good question. Um, I will say that there are a lot of personalities on social media and Instagram that you can look into and they're inspiring. Um, but for me, I really love social media characters that speak positivity into the world. Um, one that comes to mind is Bozma St. John's chief marketing officer at Netflix. She's just written a book, which I read and I was inspired by, um, about living an urgent life. Um, because she's been through a lot of things in her life and it's taught her how to appreciate the day to day. So I am inspired by a lot of Bozma St. John. She is the chief marketing officer at Netflix right now. Um, My most recent read. Um, And again, she is a Ghanaian woman, uh, an African woman, a black woman, and going beyond her, the next black woman who is posted all over my apartment (laughs) is Michelle Obama, who again, wrote a book about being positive, about carrying light, about being an example. And it's so true. Like kids, or not even kids, adults, we need to look up to other people. We need to look up to people who've been through real life. And Michelle wrote about going to couples therapy with her husband. Well, hey, we need to talk about it because yeah. it's when you see people living real life and it encourages you to do the same instead of thinking that things will just fall into place magically. Yeah, she makes no bones about, you know, being honest and sharing about her frustrations with Barack. I remember reading something recently about her going, I mean, almost describing a hatred, right? Like, I do not like this man. He is, I'm here with these babies and he's off um, after work to go play basketball and then off to some, you know, community, right? Or whatever it was. But yeah, I I think it is nice when, when people share that. And that was one thing that when I was coming up, you know, you look at in my world, it was executives and they're senior and they're experienced and, um, and they and they they present a certain way. But what was fascinating to me is that the older I got and the higher levels I went, the more open and honest they were about sharing the the, the challenges that they've experienced and they were giving. And you're like, oh my goodness, this isn't just me, you know. So tell us a little bit about your role as the CEO um, of your aesthetics company. Talk, talk to us about that. What is it, um, what is it that you're offering and how does that look? And yeah, EO aesthetics was born out of years of dreaming of for myself, you know, discovering self-care, but then also dreaming of a place where people can come and be safe. Mm-hmm. Um, New York, Manhattan, it's a grind. We're all grinding. And so I always dreamed of having a place where I could offer services, um, for people to indulge and take care of themselves. Being a cosmetic surgeon, I've used AO Aesthetics to be a venue where I can do my consultations to see my patients, but also in the same space, we will have, you know, post-op care, massage, post-op care therapy, weight loss management, nutrition counseling. Um, we will have some facials going on, IV therapy so that people can get rehydrated and anything else that kind of pops up. But the goal ultimately is people come feel safe and spend some time indulging in themselves. Is it men and women or is there a percentage break between that? It's for everyone. Being in cosmetic surgery, 90% of my patients are women, but I take care of men and women. 
So this is a space where anyone can come um, and feel safe. And it's in a really amazing location. I am in Manhattan in Midtown on 37th and 8th Avenue. I'm close to Penn Station, Port Authority, Times Square. It's accessible to everyone. So I want you know, this place to be where people look forward to going. They put it in their calendar. This is going to be something I want to do this week to take care of me. That's charge, what I recharge myself a little bit. And, and yes, absolutely. Um, do you specialize in a specific area of the body? I do. I like to do body work. I'm actually calling myself Dr. Body Adi after right. the Mega Vistallion song uh, filed a trademark. But I love to do body work. Um, this is breast surgery, tummy surgery, legs, arms, mommy makeovers for people who've lost a lot of weight, taking that skin off and really helping them to feel as good as, you know, to look as good as they feel. Very good. Very good. And um, where can they find the website? My website is ayewaesthetics.com. And on Instagram, I'm Dr. Martha Ayewa. It's the only one there. And is there an email if anybody wanted to send you something via work-related email? Um, Absolutely. You can email me at martha at ayewaesthetics.com. And that's do you spelled, want to spell your last name for them? Yes, I can spell that. It's A-Y-E-W-A-H-A-E-S-T-H. E-T-I-C-S. com. I, you know, what's funny is when I was young, I would win spelling bees. And I, now that I've been wed to the phone with the auto correct, I am, I, you know, I'm sitting there trying to figure out the, the, the stupidest words, right? <laughs> How do you spell that anymore? I can't, I can't remember. Martha, it's been great having you uh, join us and uh, share with us your, your journey um, and your experience and what you're doing now. And um, congratulations with the practice and getting things started up in the big city, the big apple or Manhattan. Thank, it's you. Very Thank, you. Thank you for having me. This has been really great. You're very welcome. Thank you very much. All right. Take care.